This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. We've been walking through uh, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. Over the last several weeks, this is week number three, the beginning we talked about the call. Uh, We talked about Jeremiah's calling on his life, it being a very divine call. I actually started our year talking about, uh, we we themed around reset, and I pulled a passage out of Jeremiah, I believe it was chapter 6, uh, where Jeremiah said, you need to stop and look at a crossroads and you need to take the, the old way, the ancient way, the way that worked. Go back to those things that once worked for you, uh, that where you're walking in the godly way. Take that path, the path that has been walked quite a bit, follow it and do what's right. And so today we're kind of continuing, if you will, in a nutshell uh, with this same story in chapter 29. And many of you know um, some of you, it might be your favorite verse, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I hope that by the end of the day today, you have a much better understanding of your favorite verse, if that is your favorite verse. And uh, we'll walk through this together. I want to read this passage out of Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. Verse 1 says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and to all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, and the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is when Jeremiah's letter, this is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans of good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen, and if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. To get some backstory, really, of what's taking place, you need to go to Second Kings chapter 24, verses 12 through 16. 
And that says, Then Jehoiakim, uh, King Jehoiakim, along with the queen mother, his advisors and commanders and officials, surrendered to the Babylonians. In the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reigns, he took Jehoiakim as prisoner. As the Lord had said before, uh, beforehand, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all the treasures from the Lord's temple and the royal place. He stripped away all the gold objects that King Solomon of Israel had placed in the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar took all of Jerusalem captive, including all the commanders and the best soldiers, craftsmen, artisans, 10,000 in all. Only the poorest people were left in the land. Nebuchadnezzar led uh, King, jo- King jo- uh, Jehoiakim away as a captive to Babylon, along with the queen mother, his wives and officials, and drew all of Jerusalem's elite. He also exiled 7,000 of the best troops and 1,000 craftsmen and artisans, all, who, uh, all of whom were strong and fit for war. The Israelites are in Babylon, if you've not gathered that thus far. I read you a lot. The reason that they're in Babylon can be found in chapter 25 of Jeremiah. I promise I'm not going to read the whole book today. But if you look at chapter 25, beginning in verse 7, uh, really beginning in verse 4, again and again the Lord has sent you his servants, the prophets, but you've not listened or even paid attention. Each time the message, uh, the message was this, turn from evil road you're traveling. Remember that? Turn from the evil road, look at the crossroads, find the right way. Turn from the evil road you're traveling and from the evil things you're doing. Only then will I let you live in this land. Then it moves on to verse 7. But you would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshiping idols you made with your own hands, bringing on yourself all the disasters you now suffer. Verse 8 down says, Because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all of the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who I am appointed as my deputy, I will bring them all against this land and the people and against the surrounding nations. And then flip the page for me in verse 11. The bottom of verse 11 says, Israel and her neighboring lands will serve king of Babylon for 70 years. We're putting this in context. The people have not listened to the Lord. God's very clear from the very beginning when he brings them out of Egypt to leave their old way behind, to leave the gods of Egypt in Egypt, to leave the the idols that they're worshiping, to leave those things. And from the get-go, we see whenever Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, we understand that the people uh, under the direction of Aaron, if you see them down the mountain, have already created a statue for themselves. Rather than worshiping the one true God that brought them out of slavery, they're already worshiping an idol they've created. And this goes on and on and on, and it gets to the point that God is finally just like, you know what, you disobeyed long enough, you've not listened long enough, and I'm casting you out of the land that I promised to give you, and for 70 years, you're going to be under the control of the Babylonians, you're going to be in exile at Babylon, and then I'm going to bring you back. In the meantime, there are false prophets People that are trying to, to, to lighten up the load, if you will, they're, they're there and, oh, God's going to rescue us. It's only a matter of time. Give this just a little while. He's going to show up. And God calls them false prophets. God said, I've already told you what's going to take place, but yet those people are lying. I read to you just a minute ago in chapter 29, he calls them the fortune tellers, the prophets, those that are with you in the land, do not listen to them. One of them is in chapter 28. It's Hananiah. And Jeremiah at one point is, is wearing this yoke around his neck, and the whole point is symbolism between being yoked to the king uh, of Babylon. And, and he, he's showing there's going to be this connection. There's going to be this yoke of slavery. There's going to be the fact that we are here. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and Hananiah gets the bright idea. He's like, actually, uh, if you read over in 
chapter 28, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but uh, in verse 2, Hananiah is prophesying. He said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will remove the yoke of the king of Babylon from your necks. Within two years, I'll bring back all the temple treasures that King Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And it goes on, and you can read it. And Hananiah actually took the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck, and he crushed it. And, and the word came to Jeremiah for Hananiah and said, Hananiah, you're a liar. Uh, if you read on down, that was my paraphrase, just a slight. He says, if you're going to be a prophet of peace, then you must show it. It must be so. But instead, what you actually just did was you took a yoke of wood, and instead you replaced it with a yoke of iron. And if you read down just a little bit further, it wasn't very long after Hananiah died. Jeremiah said, that's not really the way this is going to work. What's actually going to happen is you're going to spend 70 years in exile in Babylon. Like it or not, there's no easy way around it. There's not a shortcut just because these false prophets are saying so. Actually, what's going to happen is what God says is going to happen. You're going to spend 70 years in exile. And he gives this awesome command, if you will. I love it. He tells the people, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens, get your crops rolling, find you somebody to marry, have babies, find them a spouse, have grandbabies, multiply, do not dwindle away, is the way the New Living Translation says it. I love that. Do not dwindle away. Just because you're in exile, just because you're not where you're supposed to be in the homeland, just because you're out here because you've disobeyed God, even in this season, even in this place that is no fun, even in this season of captivity, in these 70 years, you need to thrive. You need to multiply. You don't need to diminish. You don't need to back down. You don't need to, to back up, but rather build up and strengthen and gather people with you so that on the day I finally bring you back home, there's more coming home, I believe, than there was when we went in the first place. You with me? Build homes, plan to stay. And then he says in verse 7, which would be difficult for many of us, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. The place that you don't want to be, the place that is not comfortable for you, the place that's not even really friendly for you, pray and work for peace and prosperity in that city. He said pray for the welfare because as the welfare of that city comes, you benefit from the welfare. And then he goes on and he says, you're going to spend 70 years here, but there's a plan. There's a plan. God's plan is for the people to live in the exile. They have to endure. They will endure. They have to live through the process. Somebody say, live through the process. They have to live through the process. I can't help but think of the church. For these people, there's a plan. There's a plan of hope. There's a plan of a future. There's a plan to bring the Israelites home. There's a plan outside of exile, but they have to stay there first. I can't help but think of humanity and think of the church, that when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden to have this perfect communion with him. 
They walked with God. They talked with God. They were there. Everything was perfect. I, I would love to have eaten uh, some of the fruit, not the bad fruit, but the good fruit that was there in the garden, that luscious fruit. It has to have been the best. You know, sometimes you get some fruit from the grocery store and it's just not sweet and it's nasty. I don't think that ever happened in the Garden of Eden. It was this perfect place, this perfect unity, this perfect connection between God and, and humanity and the creation. But then, you know, just like I know, disobedience came in, sin came in, and humanity was cast out of the garden. They were then sent into exile. You and I then, out of offspring of Adam, are the products of exile from the garden. God's perfect creation was designed for humanity to dwell in the garden with him. But because of sin and because disobedience, because of eating of the fruit God said don't eat, the capital sin of disobedience, now all of humanity is in exile living on earth. You with me? We agree? We don't have to like it, but we're here. This isn't the forever home. Thank you, Lord. This is not the forever home. At some point in time, Jesus is going to come riding back and in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet's going to sound and you and I get to be taken up. Then we get to be taken home, right? This isn't home. But I think that Jeremiah would look at the church and he'd say, you got to stay there. You might as well build a home and get comfortable because you have to be here. And all my life growing up, all I ever heard the church communicating, you think back, and I'm not going against what was communicated, but let's think about where the balance might could have been. Every song that was sang, Every message that was preached, everything was always about, I'll fly away. It was always looking for the moment, always waiting for the moment when the trumpet was going to sound and we were going to be taken up yonder, right? And I'm all for that. I can't wait. But in the middle of exile, Jeremiah said, build you some houses and get comfortable, you got to stay, like it or not. You might as well plant a garden. You might as well begin to eat of the fruit. You might as well go ahead and begin to produce this for yourself. You might as well find a family. Go ahead and commune and go ahead and, and interact with the people that are there in Babylon. Marry, have your children, have the grandchildren, and then be multiply. Do not dwindle away. And I can't help but see, if we look at the church Specifically in America, it's dwindling. It's dwindling. We're not multiplying. If we're not real careful before we're taking before we're taken out of exile and and rescued back home, we're going to have dwindled away. And so my thought that I would have to propose to you today, is it because 
The mission of the gospel is to go and make disciples. But Satan's intention would be to have us focused only on the day to come when we're going home to be with Jesus to distract us from the mission of the gospel. The false prophets won't talk in junk. They won't say, hey, go build statues and idols and worship other gods. They were saying, hey, get ready. The Lord's going to rescue you home. Everything that you've been waiting on is going to be taken back to the temple. Everything's going to be back to normal. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we've heard for so long? And Jeremiah said, build your homes and get comfortable. Get in the community of Babylon. Find your place in Babylon. He never said to become like the Babylonians. He never said that. He actually said, find and marry and have children. Bring those people into the children of God and multiply. Isn't that what we're called to do? Isn't it that we're called to go into our communities? We're called to be a part of the community, to be a part of this world. We don't have to look like the world. We don't have to act like the world. But unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we are in the world, right? So while we're here, we might as well build some houses, get comfortable, plan to stay, plant us a garden, not only for ourselves, but to give back to the people around us, you know, like the orphans that we're going to feed and, and the people that are going to get these awesome little shoe boxes. Build a garden, raise some things up, not only for us, but to pour back into the community. Mary, bring people in to the family of God. Bring people in to the, the, the fellowship of Jesus. Multiply. Don't win it away. God's got a plan. He's got an amazing plan. It's a plan for a future and a hope. It's a plan not to harm us. It's a plan to make us better. It's a plan that whenever the people of Babylon actually make it back home, Notice Jeremiah, the, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, he never said when you make it back to Israel. He said when you make it back home. When you make it back to the place you're supposed to be at. You make it back to the place you originated from. You make it back to the place that God's created you and created for you. You make it back home. I can't help but believe, and I've dug in Scripture, and I've looked, and maybe you can find it, and we can have a conversation later. I can't help but believe, though, if they were given the instruction to multiply from what they were when they left to where they are now, if they're told to multiply, don't dwindle away, it has to be that the people that left Babylon to go back home was greater than the number that left home to go to Babylon. You with me? When God rescued the people, when he had a plan, when he said, I've got a plan for you, says the Lord, to get a plan uh, to, to not harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and to give you a future. That plan included bringing people from Babylon, bringing people from the place of exile back home, rescuing them along with the people of God. They are now rescued and they're brought to this place of peace as well. God's got a grand plan. And I love that verse of scripture. I do. It's not my favorite. Because I really don't want to have to personally in my life go into a place of exile away from God in order to receive the hope and the glory of the future. You with me? 
Let's put it in context. Let's rightly divide the word. It's a beautiful verse of scripture when we're in the place of exile. You read on, we look at the church when it started. In John chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, it says, I've given them your word. The world hates them. They do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. This is Jesus having the conversation about the church. We're not going to be pulled out of the world just because we're tired of living in it. But rather the plan is and the heart is that we remain safe from the evil one while we're here. And just like Israel was birthed to be a blessing to the nations, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18 it says, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through Abraham, through Israel, all the, the nations will be blessed. All because you've obeyed me. Just like the nation of Israel, the church was sent by the Spirit into the world to bring all the nations to God. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit sent the church to bring the people back to himself. Right? We weren't sent on a mission. We are the mission. God's got a plan. I can't help but think that that plan has to include the church being rooted down in this world that we live in to make this place a better place. He said, work for the welfare of the city. Pray for the welfare of the city. Make Babylon a better place. And I am challenged. I'm challenged today that if we're not careful, the church is so caught up on Hananiah's message that it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. Now, here's the thing. We have to have hope because we need that hope to live for. We have to have hope in the returning of Jesus because that's what also allows us to remain in the fellowship, to remain in the holiness, and, and to keep that life of holiness. We, we've got to, we have to stay in the proper relationship with Jesus. There are days... Probably not for you, but for me, that what keeps me in the proper relationship with Jesus is knowing that if I'm not in the proper relationship with Jesus and he chooses to return, I don't get to go home. But those are just random days. Most of the time, I'm challenged the idea of what am I doing for this place. I'm here. And I believe the heart of Jeremiah is the heart of the message for the church. You're here. Plan to stay. 
there's not really anything we can do about it. When Jesus returns, bless God, we'll go home. But I can't make him come any faster, but I sure can't waste the time waiting. The church was sent to be the mission of Jesus for the Babylon in which we live. God's got a plan. I can rest assured in the hope that one day I'm going home because God's got a plan for me, a plan for good, not for evil, a plan to give me a future and a hope. I can rest assured in that. But rather than hanging on that and holding on that this way, shouldn't that be pushing us from this way? Shouldn't that be the confidence rather than the goal? Shouldn't it be that that's what's driving us to be the church? I don't have to wait every day for the return of Jesus. Do I have to live like he's coming back every day? Yes. Do I have to constantly be looking? No, because if I'm constantly looking, I'm missing everybody in Babylon that's supposed to go with me. And I can continue working and building and planning because behind me there's the confidence that no matter what, God's got a plan for the church. There's a plan for a hope and for a future. Regardless of what right now looks like, the confidence is there's a plan. We're going home. Jeremiah said in verse 10, you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised. I'll bring you back home again. I get to be in the perfect communion with the Father. I get to be back in the place that was designed and created for humanity with Adam and Eve. I get to be back in eternity with the Father. He's going to come and rescue us out of exile. I will end your captivity, verse 14 says, and restore your fortunes. I'll gather you out of the nations where I sent you. I'll bring you home again to your own land. There's an end. There is an end to the exile. There is an end date. I don't know it. You don't know it. I don't need to know it. Because I have the confidence of the fact God's got a plan. A plan for my hope and my future. So what am I going to do while I'm in Babylon? What am I building? Who am I affecting? He said, multiply. Don't dwindle away. The only way that the church remains bigger than it was when it left, if you will, the only way we keep pushing forward, the gates of hell can't prevail against it. It's what the word tells us. But the way we go back stronger home than we were when we were had to be in exile 
is by bringing those people in with us, making them a part of the family, growing the kingdom of God, so that on that glorious day when he does come and he returns us back home, we can look around and we can see the welfare, the fruit of the labor in Babylon standing beside us. I can't wait to go to heaven. But honestly, I don't think I got enough people lined up to go with me just yet. I don't think I'm done. I'm going to go. I'm going to maintain my relationship with Jesus. And there's a plan to rescue the church back to the Father. But I don't think I've gotten enough people out of Babylon yet to go with me. I'm not ready quite yet. But go praise the Lord. If I don't make it home today, praise God. But I don't think I'm done yet. I look around and I think about the people in my life. And maybe you can think about the people in your life. When was the last time that you led somebody to Jesus or, or maybe even just sown a seed or maybe you watered. Who is it that's going to be locked arms with you from Babylon when you walk into the gates of heaven? Who is it that you're responsible for? Because those people, God's in control of this whole situation. The people from Babylon could not go back to Israel unless God allowed them to do it. King Nebuchadnezzar was the deputy that got the people out of Israel into Babylon. You with me? They didn't get to go back and forth on their own. God was the author. He was in control. So the only way that the people from Babylon made it to the home place, the only way they made it back to that place God had, had kicked his church out of, the only way they got to make it back was if they were a part then of the children of Israel. Who is it that we're taking with us today? God's got a plan. It's a beautiful plan. And yes, it's beautiful for, beautiful for you personally and individually. As you read that passage of Scripture, you can rest assured God's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan of good, not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. But that's not just to make it through your tomorrow. That's the guarantee that as you're out doing the work of the Lord... There's a plan and a confidence coming behind you. Would you stand with me? On this first day of November, first Sunday of November, November is season of thanksgiving, the season of harvest. I believe that God's calling his church to work and harvest the lost souls in this place of which we're exiled. What is it that we're doing? What is it that we are communicating to the people around us? 
I was sitting in on Brother Tommy's, the Connect Group, the group of Acts, Wednesday night, and a question popped up either this past week or week before. At what point do people know that you're a Christian? At what point in your conversation, at what point in your interaction, when you come across somebody, at what point do they know that you're a Christian? Is it after you tell them? Is it after you invite them to the church? Is it after you spout out on a burst of anger because they frustrated you? When is it that people know that you're a Christian? That's a deep question. We think we might want to know the answer to it. I don't know that some of us would like the answer. God's plan is for the church to go into this place, this place of exile, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To go into all the, the nations, beginning with the local stretching out a little bit wider and then into all the world and we love to send money we love to to be a part of those at the furthest reach i'm thankful god allows us to do that but then we have to ask the question too what are we doing around us father i love you god i thank you for your plan thank you lord for the plan of a future and a hope. God, that I don't have to worry about my future with you. I don't have to stress about whether I get to spend eternity with you. Lord, as long as I'm in this relationship with you, that's covered. But rather now I can focus on, God, the people that are around us. Lord, I don't belong in this place. I don't belong in this, on this, this world. Lord, I don't, I don't belong here, God, but this is the place that we're at. This is the place of exile. One day, God, you're going to call us back home and we'll be uh, spending an eternity with you, Lord. But in this moment, for this time, this is where we are. Father, and I pray, Lord, that today you would move in our hearts, stir up our minds. Holy Spirit, stir our spirits to push us to build homes and plan to stay to plant gardens, Lord, to, to nourish ourselves, but not only ourselves, but the people around us. To bring people into the community of faith as, as we, we blend and we make families, God, and we, we see just like those people of, of Israel marry and have children and have grandchildren and multiply. God, let us bring people into the family of God. Let us multiply. God, rather than dwindling away, Lord, we want revival to spark and burn as people are coming into your family. Lord, we're here at this place of exile. God, there's a plan, and that plan, rather than the thing to look to, is the plan that's pushing us, Father, to build your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.